Get your weapons. Let's go. You put the shirt on. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And cue up the Beastie Boys, because this week we're talking about sabotage. Actually, you can't cue up the Beastie Boys because they tried to get that song <laughs> and the Beastie Boys turned them down. Do you think that's a good match, the movie Sabotage? You know, you've just watched this movie. Does that seem like a good match? The content of Sabotage with the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys are like party music. This movie's not a party movie. I think they only wanted it for the trailer. I could see how it would work. I guess Star Trek has the rights on it to this point. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so, Tony, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Sabotage. Another one of his attempts to kind of get back into mainstream popularity. The Last Stand came out, and it did not perform, I think, like he hoped, and I'm sure a lot of people hoped. And so this was like pretty much his next in line. You did not see this movie originally, did you? No, I actually hadn't watched this movie until we did it for the podcast. And it was interesting to see Arnold in another kind of post-political role. Right, yeah. Why didn't you see this movie in theaters? (laughs) I don't think anyone saw this movie in theaters. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't see it in theaters. I watched it when it first hit home video, like right away. I think probably the first week or two. Um... And I suspect the reason I didn't run out to see it in theaters, because I see most movies in theaters these days, was because the reviews were so terrible that I just went, eh, I'm sure I picked something else that week instead. I remember actually distinctly thinking to myself, probably six months after it was released, seeing it. I mean, oh, looks like they've released another Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. Some time ago. And being really surprised, because I am a big Schwarzenegger fan, that... That hadn't popped up for me that this was right. this was coming out, but it totally was not on my radar at all, I'm ashamed to admit. Well, it was put out by VVS Films, which is not one of the major studios by any stretch of the imagination. They do a lot of the kind of junky action movies, like the Olympus Has Fallen movies. Um, I think they did maybe that Gerard Butler series, Den of Thieves, I may be wrong about that. But just kind of the stuff that's not quite direct-to-video, but close. <laughs> You know, it's funny, because I have seen a lot of the other VVS stuff, and I actually quite like a lot of the stuff that, they're, it's fun. that they're doing. They they tend to make movies that have maybe a bit more of a reliance on practical effects, and, and that, that's certainly the case here. You haven't seen Olympus Has Fallen, have you? <laughs> I have, I have. <laughs> that is some of the worst CG ever committed to film. It's like lockout levels of bad. <laughs> lockout or space jail, as many people call it. Carnosaur. Yeah, Carnosaur. <laughs> So, yeah, I saw this movie right when it hit home video, and, I mean, there was no hype for this thing when I sat down to watch it, and uh, I really didn't like it the first time I watched it at all. At all. (laughs) I really was, like, thought it was just a toxic movie that I found kind of unpleasant to sit through, and uh, I think we'll get back to the movie in a second and talk about what we thought this time, you know, watching it four years later, maybe my opinions have changed. Uh, Well, maybe they have. Maybe. (laughs) So yeah, you mentioned that no one saw this movie. That is completely accurate. Movie... A, they're going to take us through the box office? Of course. This movie had 
a budget around 35 million. That's the only number I could find anywhere that may not be exact. They have not confirmed their budget publicly, but 35 million is what people estimate it to be. Um, the total gross for this movie domestically was $10.5 million. Ooh. <laughs> 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 That's not a good number. But, Tony... Did it crack the top 100? There's the worldwide box office nowadays, Tony. How much did this movie make foreign? That's the question, because foreign is what saves movies in our modern era, in the 2010s. And was it saved? It made $7 million. Uh-oh. <laughs> and it went straight to DVD in Australia. Yeah, I did I did know that, actually. I don't know why I knew that, but I, yeah. I do remember something about how the box office in the U.S. being so bad that the Australian release date was pushed out, and then it was eventually just a straight-to-video thing. Right. Well, I mean, as it's I think, was stated a lot at the time, this was Arnold's lowest-grossing opening weekend in 30 years. The That's, movie opened to, like, $5 million. Which is hard to believe when you think of some of, the, some of the movies that Arnold's released in the past three decades, that this movie was going to be the one that scraped the bottom. Yeah, I mean, David Ayer is a director with a certain amount of name value, and we'll get into his career in a little bit, but this wasn't like a really like phoned-in, random, you know, untested director, no budget. Like, this has ma- some pretty major stars in it. It's mm-hmm. had some money. It has a director who would go on to do some high-profile stuff. It's weird that it was that low. I mean, the thing is, when you're working with VVS, I don't think they have almost any marketing budget. So my suspicions are that this movie was marketed terribly, if but, at all. But then you look at some of their other movies, and even maybe some of the stuff that's not as good. Yeah. You mentioned Olympus Has Fallen. I mean, Which that, I kind of like. Yeah, I kind of like it too. London Has Fallen isn't very good, but Olympus Has Fallen was really fun. Well, both of those movies, I mean, maybe didn't hit it out of the park, but... Uh, did, they did way better than did this. Did fairly well in almost the box like, office, Almost right? ten times better. You know, they made some money anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just they never communicated the premise in a way that interested people in the marketing. Whereas, maybe The Olympus Has Fallen, that's a pretty good hook for a movie. Yeah. And so, maybe that's just what did it. But, um, for Arnold, this was, in his all-time, you know, box office gross, this is his 28th highest grossing film. Between what and what? Well, it was, I don't know what was above it, but this movie landed just above Red Sonja. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. And that movie opened, like, 30 years earlier. So, like... Is that adjusted for inflation? No. Oh, man. <laughs> so Red Sonja actually outgrossed this movie by some, you know, a fairly significant margin. Um, you asked, did it crack the 100 for the year? No. No, it did not. <laughs> it landed at number 133. Jeez, that, that's getting right into the realm of YouTube videos that have been burned to disc. <laughs> Mail order releases and that kind of thing. Angry Video Game Nerd made more money that year. <laughs> um... And it was sandwiched on the charts right between the, I believe this was a Woody Allen movie, Magic in the Moonlight, one of his kind of lesser known ones. Apparently. And then also a movie that I'm not even sure what it is called Mom's Night Out. Was that also a Woody Allen movie? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Um, And it was beat that year by a couple notable, really terrible movies. Uh, The Kellen Lutz Legend of Hercules. As well as the Nicolas Cage remake of Left Behind, that Christian film, (laughs) in which the rapture takes people away. Um, But that year, you look at the top ten, like, it was a lot of heavy hitters. I mean, I'm guessing most of their opening weekends were about 
at least five times what uh, Sabotage did in its total. It sounds like. But the top ten, the highest grossing movie of the year. And this is actually interesting because part of my thinking was when I sat down to do the research was maybe Sabotage is a little too, you know, kind of conservative action movie. A little too, you know, R-rated. But the number one movie for the year was American Sniper. Mm-hmm. Which was pretty conservative action-based yeah. drama. So that was the number one movie of the year. It made like $350 million. And then following it on the top ten, you had Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, followed by Guardians of the Galaxy, and then Captain America Winter Soldier, The Lego Movie, The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies, Transformers, Age of Extinction, Maleficent, X-Men Days of Future Past, and Disney's Big Hero 6. Yeah, if there is one surprise on that list, it's that American Sniper beat all those other ones out. Yeah. I knew it was a big hit. I had no idea it was the number one movie for the year that year. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it kind of had a little bit of a cheat in the sense it opened, I think, on like Christmas Day. You know, its box office was mostly into the 2015. Right. But it was considered a 2014 release. Right. Yeah. But, you know, we'll, we'll let those complications slide. All that we really get out of this is that Sabotage did appallingly terrible. You're not going to run down uh, 11 to 132? <laughs> that would be amazing. We're like talking about like IMAX nature documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anytime you're 133rd, it's not so much that you're 133rd, it's the movies that are between 132 and 1 that are clearly such pieces of garbage yeah. uh, that have beaten you out. Yeah. So, Tony... You sat down just to watch this movie. I'm curious, before we even talk about what you thought about it, what were your expectations of this movie? Had you heard anything over the last three, four years? I'd heard next to nothing. I'd heard a lot of fairly negative reviews. I'd checked out uh, you know, a couple of the review aggregator sites, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. And yeah. um, the reviews weren't um, totally horrible. That's one thing I, I've noticed, especially on the aggregator sites. I'm always a little wary uh, when it's got like a 20% rating. Yeah. Uh, I found that I went in and most of the negative reviews weren't the kind of 1 out of 10 ratings. They were more the 4 out of 10, 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10. Right, yeah. Kind of thing saying, you know, this is a movie that's okay. It's got some positive points, but there's some pretty serious problems with it. So I was actually really excited to sit down and watch it because... I find a lot of the time when movies have those kinds of ratings, especially when it's a Schwarzenegger action vehicle, yeah, that uh, that a lot of times I actually like it a lot more than the than the critics did. I also watched the uh, the trailer, and I thought the trailer looked fantastic, actually. Oh, so the VVS marketing worked for you? It did. I, I mean, I, I didn't watch the trailer or know where to find it until you suggested that we do sabotage uh, this week, but. Um, but I did go out and I watched it. When I watched it, it actually got me quite excited to see the movie. Okay. When we came up with this podcast concept, uh, around 2014 actually, 2014, 2015, um, I remember that when I was considering the movies I'd have to revisit, this was the one I think I maybe dreaded the most because I had just watched it. And I was <laughs> like, well, I'm going to make sure that we push Sabotage quite a ways because at that point in time, I was like, there's no way I can rewatch this movie. That's the same way I feel about Aftermath. We still haven't reviewed yeah, Aftermath yeah. yet, but uh, not that it's a bad movie. It's just such a <laughs> such a downer of a film yeah. that uh, I'm curious to rewatch it, but I feel the same way about it. 
Okay, so we just watched Sabotage. Tony, what's this movie about? Sabotage is about the best undercover agent in the DEA, played by none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger as John Breacher Wharton, uh, a drug war god who with his team which is a uh, family which you may notice that from another david ayer movie uh, that fast and the furious <laughs> you got yeah, it. he wrote the original draft for the first fast and the furious yeah. yeah he's in a family of other dea agents who are all <laughs> seemingly have some kind of serious mental issue <laughs> uh, but anyways they all get along fairly well they have a plot to steal some drug money that drug money goes missing and somebody has sabotaged them. And it's a bit of a mystery film, a bit of an action film. Yeah. Uh, and a, one by one, each of them starts to get picked off. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a, a violent cop drama. Right. A lot of procedural stuff, too, because Olivia Williams comes in mm-hmm. as an investigator trying to figure out what's going on with these murders of the various team members. So, yeah, there's like a procedural mixed with kind of the thriller elements. Yeah, and I should add in here, which is... Uh, it's probably more important to say in this one than it has been maybe in a Terminator 2 or a Predator. Uh, one of these movies that we expect pretty much anyone who is downloading an Arnie Geddon podcast that they've seen these movies and are revisiting it and maybe it's not as important. In this movie, given that it's a very good chance you haven't seen this movie, right? it is a movie that's got a fairly... Um, fairly decent number of plot twists and a mystery element and a bit of a whodunit so if you haven't seen this movie we will be going through it in this podcast and spoiling it as spoiled can be so uh do yourself a favor and you know put this podcast on pause and go download it or stream it for sure so tony all that out of the way what do you think of sabotage I'm a little torn with Sabotage, to be honest, Cam. Uh, I actually think it's a really well-directed and well-acted and well-edited movie. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just, it's it's not a ton of fun. No. It's, it's a really <laughs> grim, gritty, violent movie. Yeah. And not in a cartoonish sense. It's just, the camera is just constantly lingering on uh, corpses that are in various states of dismemberment and bloat from sitting in the ocean or in the forest or wherever for for weeks at a time. Uh, There's repeated scenes of torture. The characters in the movie, as well acted as I think they are, are really not likable at all. There's almost no likable characters in the movie. But at the same time, I I was pretty... uh, Compelled. I was I was following along with the movie and very interested in the movie as it went through. Um, how about you? I was watching it a second time. You said you, you hated it the first time. What did you think about it? Maybe because I'd seen it before. I didn't have like the visceral reaction that I did the first time. And that I did respond a lot like you did the first time I watched it. Where I just found it so in-your-face unpleasant that at a certain point I just wanted it to end. And I just didn't enjoy watching it at all. Um, this time I knew going in what I was going to be treated to and I think that's maybe a problem I have just with David Ayer as a director in general and that a lot of his movies are this sort of very very ugly mean-spirited often highly misogynistic um, action kind of violent movies that just kind of hold your face down in the muck and this one is very much that and so going in I was like okay I know where I'm going with this and I could appreciate it more this time in terms of some of the performances. 
in terms of the commitment like Schwarzenegger is bringing to it, because he's definitely doing another one of these tortured characters. And I want to have a discussion a little later in the show about whether this is something we want to see Arnold continue to do over and over again, if it's working for us, or... You know, or is it something that kind of takes away the joy of what an Arnold movie is? But to me, like, this movie, I could sit there and enjoy, for example, Olivia Williams playing the investigator. Like, I think she's bringing a lot to this movie. I think she does a lot of the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And it manages to infuse, you know, her character with a lot of, like, agency in life. You know, and you could totally see this character being complete garbage in another movie. Like, just a really annoying character. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and David Ayer, I mean, this is a very, I think you mentioned it, a very David Ayer-ish film. Uh, it's got a lot of the same themes in some of the some of the earlier stuff that he's done. I mean, he was a writer on Dark Blue and Training Day and uh, SWAT, which I guess got more mixed reviews. Than, yeah, yeah. Than the remake. All I remember from SWAT is Jeremy uh, Renner getting his head kicked into a train. <laughs> yeah, or uh, <laughs> End of Watch. That was another one. Basically, a lot well, of a lot of gritty cop action drama type stuff and he's also done some stuff that's maybe a little less well regarded on the directorial side right so he did, he's done you know, bright and suicide squad which are both just horrible basically unwatchable but he's also directed some of these other ones too uh that are a little bit a little bit better and a little bit more highly regarded yeah like he did uh, harsh times and street kings uh harsh times i think got some okay reviews i was with christian bale Street Kings, not so much. End of Watch was the one that got actually really good reviews. I never saw it, did you? I haven't seen it, no. I think I've seen everything he's done except for that one. Because, yeah, I've seen uh, those previous two. I saw Fury, which I actually liked. I think Fury is my favorite David Ayer film. That's the one with Brad Pitt, the World War II tank movie. Yeah, it was very interesting. I remember it was released right around the same time as Inglorious Bastards. And I was like, is this the new Brad Pitt? Just yeah. war, war, angry World War II <laughs> movies. It had some good performances in it. Like Shia LaBeouf was actually really good in it. Um, and I, I remember walking out of it being like, actually, I like this more than I thought I would. Because I believe I actually saw Fury right after I'd seen Sabotage. So I did not go into Fury with high hopes. But it had a similar theme. Like, Fury was not a feel-good movie. No, it was not a, at all. It's very similar. Very angry, very violent, very grim. And, uh, you know, a team of men being broken down, essentially, over the course of two hours. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned Suicide Squad and Bright. Um, those are two really interesting ones because they were both very successful. Yeah, which is weird. Uh, although I'm surprised. I actually didn't know that Bright had done that well. Uh, everything I've read about it <laughs> basically said it was a total unwatchable piece of garbage. Uh, but I knew Suicide had done quite well. I went to see that in the theater. I was quite excited about it and I, I found it unwatchable. And you'd think that actually Suicide Squad would be right up his alley. It feels very in keeping with these movies he's made. And that's these teams of very damaged people being damaged towards one another. I got a feel with Suicide Squad, uh, without going too far into Suicide Squad, that there was a lot of uh, editorializing and maybe a boardroom full of <laughs> co-producers that were getting their nose into things. Oh yeah, that was a famous case where the original editors were dismissed and they brought in the editing team that made the movie's trailer and had them edit the movie. Right. So, yeah, it was always, it, it always was a, a terrible movie. Always a good call. Yeah, it was a really, really bad movie. But um, I did see Bright. Did you watch it? No, I, I didn't bother. I thought Bright 
was the worst movie I saw of last year of 2017. <laughs> I thought it was unwatchable direct and just like incompetently directed. That's that's by and large what I heard about it and I just I couldn't bring myself to sit through it. Hugely downloaded though on Netflix or hugely streamed and they've announced Bright 2 is a go. <laughs> oh great. So it is happening. But my God, was that first one unwatchable. Like, it was the worst Will Smith movie. It's the worst Joel Edgerton movie. It's the worst everyone's movie involved with that movie. (laughs) But, yeah, like, you can see that he has a very obvious aesthetic. A very, like, he likes all his characters to look really, like, dirty throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. Kind of mucky. For a group of DEA agents, these guys sure looked a lot like escaped convicts. (laughs) And he just likes to hear the F word over and over and over again. Yeah, no, this was uh, this was definitely hard R. If it was any harder, I think you would have uh, pirates talking about it. <laughs> Yar! R! <laughs> so, what was it about this movie for you that, like, didn't quite work maybe where David Ayer's, some of his other movies have worked for you? Well, one, the, the central plot conceit, I thought, was not super clear to me. I thought the movie opened fairly effectively where they have this team led by Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, going in to um, basically do some kind of a drug bust. And uh, along the way, one of their own get killed, but they they show the team working together. They uh, hide $10 million down uh, an old dirty sewer pipe, and then they blow up the rest of the money. Um, yeah. Don't forget, they had to show the open toilet shot full of human feces just to really get that across. Yeah, yeah, which was in line with a lot of the rest of the movie. <laughs> so they blow up this huge stack of money. Uh, given how little money $10 million looks like, I can only imagine how much money was in this pile. It had to have been billions. Yeah. Everything uh, burns. <laughs> but then uh, I couldn't figure out how anyone, whether the cartel... Or the FBI or the DEA or these various agencies knew that $10 million was missing. It makes no sense, does it? No, and I also couldn't figure out, they they seemed very intent on making it clear that the the cartel was after them because they'd stolen $10 million. But that seemed way less likely that the cartel would be angry about that anyways than just having blown up this other $100 billion or however much. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Like, why didn't they just make that the gist, that they wanted revenge for the blown-up money? I mean, I guess that definitely screws with your twist you've got coming down the way, but that would seem to me more interesting idea for the movie. I don't know, or at least one that you don't sit there and go, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. They kind of vaguely explained that the FBI had a concurrent operation going, so they knew how much money was there, but... With them, all of the money being blown up and burned, it wasn't really... I couldn't really understand how anybody knew this $10 million was missing. That was kind of the point of why they hid it and then blew up the money, because no one would miss it. Yeah. yeah so, I, agree. I mean, right from the outset, I had a little bit of an issue with that. And then where I found it really fell down a little bit, though, was I found all of the characters on this team just to be... Uh, unlikable like alpha alpha yeah individuals who just as far as i could tell their personalities consisted of a series of bad habits yeah and they were all like tuned to 11 on the psychopath meter exactly so they all you know the kind of run-of-the-mill 
a lot of face tattoos, a lot of cornrows. Um, it was like a corn concert. A lot of they seemed to all bond by telling each other how lame they were and stupid they were, and uh, make sexual innuendo to each other, and, and like punching each other in the shoulder, yeah, tattooing each other. They didn't really seem to be very likable people. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just maybe I just haven't had the benefit of having friends like that but my friends tend to we, we tend to be like nice to each other and like enjoy speaking to each other and that's why we hang out that's why we're right. friends you don't want someone like holding a knife to you and then like calling you like very uh, degrading versions of the word wuss <laughs> yeah like i think our friendship would be a little weaker if you know when we sat down we ate some food and we talked about movies instead you were like telling how you would had sex with my wife all the time and tell me what an idiot I am and like maybe like just pulling cigarettes out of my mouth and breaking them in half uh, yeah. I, I think that th that would strain our friendship yeah no I agree 100% and it feels like a lot of the time where all these people are gathered in a room I felt like the room smelled <laughs> <laughs> yeah and along the same vein, though, because these individuals, they're picked off one by one. Yeah. And it struck me over and over and over again. These these members of this team that are a so-called family are picked off one at a time. And nobody seems to be that upset about it. No, they're upset about the guy who dies in the opening mission, who dies actually in combat. That's um, Smoke, I believe, like by Mark Schlegel. But like he dies. They seem very upset about this. Everyone else from that point forward dies, and they're like, "eh." <laughs> yeah, and not just dies. It's yeah. it's it's not just like, oh, it's it's very sad. Uh, Grinder is dead, or or a tear comes to my eye because Neck or Pyro has died. They all have these kind of funny <laughs> American gladiator names. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Laser. <laughs> they're all in giant gerbil balls running around. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good. Maybe that's in a cut scene. But when one of your buddies, and again, uh, I don't want to impart too much of our friendship into this camp, but sure. if I were to come over and I were to find you disemboweled and nailed to a ceiling, <laughs> I'd find it a little upsetting. I would hope you'd be more like, you know, a little torn up, not so much just like, eh, <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, you know, and I'd also hope that I wouldn't celebrate your 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 life by... You know, getting kicked out of a strip club. Sure. Or like punching out the bouncer. <laughs> oh, well, <yeah>. maybe. <laughs> yeah, they spend a lot of time at strip clubs. And that goes into another David Ayerism, which is that <laughs> uh, the more scantily clad women you can throw into a movie who have no personality, the better. That's something he really loves doing. That's true. Although I don't want to focus too much on that here. Yeah. Because unlike a lot of Schwarzenegger movies where there's basically no women with any agency at all sure uh, in this movie there's at least a couple of the main characters that are not only of agency but they're they seem to be fairly strong women i'm gonna disagree with you on one of those okay <laughs> one of but, them i'll agree with you <laughs> but they have they have a developed character and they have their own motivation and that kind of thing right 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 <laughs> yeah maybe agency is not the word i'm looking for <laughs> yeah let's just Go down a bit of the cast, like, you know, the team you mentioned, you know, you have, like, Sam Worthington and his monster, who's sort of the, who's pretty unrecognizable. He is. 
I did not recognize him. I had to, because <laughs> the the cast rolls up. It says Sam Worthington. I had to actually look it up and try and figure out which one he was. He's got a <laughs> a, a teardrop face tattoo and yeah. a, just the worst. Uh, late 90s metal band braided beard that I've ever seen. These guys are all new metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to their core. <laughs> Definitely. But, yeah, he's kind of the sensitive one of the group, I suppose. <laughs> don't don't say that around Monster. <laughs> <laughs> but he seems to be the one that actually expresses to other people the problems of the group and how they're feeling. That seems to be his sole job in the movie is to just be the one who has these confessional moments with Schwarzenegger and with Olivia Williams. Well, and he's also married to uh, Lizzie Murray, who's played by Mireille Enos. Yeah, and she is maybe best remembered as being the wife of Brad Pitt in World War Z. Uh, She was actually a last-minute addition for this movie. Originally, they cast uh, Malin Ackerman, but then she got pregnant and had to drop out. So She might also be remembered for the TV show The Killing. I don't know if you ever saw that. I never saw it. But she was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Emmy Award for that. Yeah, okay. That's pretty notable then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she definitely has the character that's... um, that's the one where I think she's a problematic character. Maybe. I think there's a lot of, in the writing of this movie, that she is a really problematic character. Maybe, but what I what I really did like about uh, this movie, though, and what David Ayer and uh, Muriel Enos did with her, yeah. is uh, she's, not, uh, she's not an action movie trope. Right. Right? So they made her kind of an ugly, unseemly... Yeah, character, which you don't. I think in a in a different movie, this would be someone who always had their makeup done and who, sure. whose hair was always feathered and was wearing uh, tight vinyl clothes on all of her missions. Right. Yeah, she's definitely very tough looking. Oh, but I did think it was notable that um, all of the guys in the group look similarly like they crawled out of a ditch, just as like she does in this movie. Mm-hmm. They all look equally, you know. <laughs> unpleasant aesthetically speaking in terms of all their makeup and uh attire and you know all the sort of lighting they're being shown under one of the one of the notes i actually made as i was watching this movie was this movie was basically uh like the mean expendables yes no very much so but i felt like her character is the one showcased throughout the movie as people pointing out that she's trashy looking no one's turning to like monster and being like you look like crap (laughs) But her, she gets it throughout the entire movie. They're always calling her like crack whore and things like that. And then she's the one who has like a drug problem, of course. And she's the one that basically tears apart the whole group. Well, Sam Worthington did did come to her defense and say, hey, that's that's my wife you're calling a crack whore. Yeah, but she literally is the one that <laughs> destroys the entire team. Although what that... is the message of this movie? <laughs> I, I don't want to look too far into the message of this movie. Uh, um... I mean, when I said from the outset here, this I thought this movie was really well acted. This this is a, an ensemble cast of very talented yeah. actors, right? You have a lot of maybe not the the Academy Award winners or Golden Globe winners, but there's a lot of uh, award nominees in here, and a lot of people who have a lot of work under their belt and very good things. Yes. Now, you know, I got a fun idea just for the remaining members of the team. I'm gonna announce who they are, and Tony. I want you to tell me some character traits of these. <laughs> personalities so let's go to grinder played by joe mangianello so how would you describe his character what are some of his traits uh he's got cornrows and starred in true blood <laughs> he 
was also cast as what was it Death Strike in the DC universe in a, <laughs> a post credit scene that's going to go nowhere on Justice League. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, and then you have Josh Holloway who played Neck. Um, I don't actually remember <laughs> <laughs> what Neck did and what his role was on the team, but I did enjoy him in Lost. <laughs> okay, now you have Terrence Howard as Sugar. He was, well, they, uh, he was ultimately uh, Lizzie Murray's other love interest. Sure. Who also tore the group apart. Uh, How would you describe his personality? <laughs> kind of kind of aggressive and not very fun to be around. So like all of them. Uh, yeah, pretty much. But, um, you know, what can I say? Uh, better than Don Cheadle. <laughs> Is he? Next time, baby. <laughs> That's, of course, a reference to the fact that Terrence Howard was... Uh, the original uh, War Machine in the first Iron Man. Before yeah. being replaced by Don Cheadle. Yeah. But Terrence Howard also, he, he's another guy. He's got an Academy Award nomination under his belt for... Not Hustle. for this movie. <laughs> no. Russell and Flow. Russell and Flow, which is great. What about Max Martini as Pyro? Uh, I think I got him confused with Neck. <laughs> and I wasn't clear on what either of their role was. But... Um, yeah, he he was. I think his personality was uh, cranky, masculine, and not very fun to be around. Okay, and lastly, Kevin Vance as Tripod. I think I got him confused with Pyro and Neck. <laughs> you see, this exercise worked out perfectly. This is exactly what I was hoping because I think this underscores a serious problem with this movie, and that all of these characters are almost completely interchangeable. <laughs> Other than their minor plot functions they serve. A couple of them serve fairly major, but most of them don't in any way. <laughs> They're just there to get killed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and to make alpha dog comments to each other. Yeah, like, how enjoyable do you think this movie was to shoot? It feels like it would be pretty unpleasant to shoot. I don't know. It was filmed in Georgia, which I hear is quite temperate a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting because that's where all the Marvel movies shoot. So do you think Terrence Howard was able to visit the other Marvel Studios shoots going on at the same time? Maybe. I don't want to speculate on that. <laughs> He's like, next time, baby. <laughs> but uh, um, like to me, that is a weakness of this movie, is that the characters feel so similar and uh, like unpleasant across the board. But then I had trouble, maybe you didn't, in determining why the Arnold Schwarzenegger character... Who seems like a fairly reasonable guy. He works in an office. He lives in a like, nice house. He's a family man. Used to be. But yeah. Um, you know, why he would want to hang out with these people. And why he was so tightly affiliated with them. I think it's just the Brotherhood of Battle. Something along those lines. But he never seemed to be, like, joining in with them. He always seemed to be standing on the outside, kind of observing them. Like, he's... I noticed all, that in on several of the scenes, it's this whole group of them... All just like hurling profanity at each other endlessly and drinking while Arnold Schwarzenegger just like stands in the background. I felt like Arnold did throw a few uh, profanities around and did grab people by the throat once in a while and reestablish himself as the father figure slash absolute alpha dog. Part of me wonders though, I don't know, like I felt like the dialogue Arnold was given was nowhere near as revolting as the rest of the team. And I can't help but wonder, you referenced this off the top of the episode, this is one of Arnold's early post-political career movies. Mm -hmm. Part of me wonders if he was saying to Ayer, like, I'm not saying some of this stuff. 
Like, I, I'm not comfortable saying these sorts of things. I was a political figure. I'm not going to be spouting out the <laughs> hair-raising profanity that, like, Grinder is spouting. <laughs> yeah, or Neck or Pyro. Uh, it could have been any of them. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's certainly possible. But, I mean, maybe David Iyer just wanted to establish this guy as, uh, you know, the reason he's in charge and the reason why he is the alpha dog in this pack of wolves is because he's uh he is the drug war god and he is the the best in the business and he doesn't need to spout these testosterone laced profanities in order to uh establish himself but when he does need to he go he goes ahead and he does it he grabs i think it is grinder you don't uh, know <laughs> <laughs> it's one of them he grabs i think it is grinder it is grinder yeah. grabs him by the throat and pushes him down on a desk and yeah. you know says uh you know let's get 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 your shit together or something like that right now i feel bad spouting a profanity <laughs> yeah, that's pretty edgy yeah. you're not ready to join the the uh, dea <laughs> <laughs> no maybe i'm more of an fbi man my question is with this whole team do you think this is a very off the books thing with the dea there's no way this group are tightly affiliated it wasn't clear to me at all what their affiliation was but there were everywhere they went which was always a a, a slummy broken down old building yeah the dea special ops clubhouse or something like that there was always a sign up that said <laughs> dea undercover special ops <laughs> or something like that so and obviously once the 10 million dollars went missing mm-hmm. uh they were all investigated by the dea yeah. so i've got to assume that everybody knows about these guys and they're used for operations they wasn't that clear to me why that whether they were actually undercover or whether they were just sent in in order to to blast everyone at the last minute. Yeah, could you buy any of these characters other than Arnold filling out reports? No, but on the other hand, I guess uh, in terms of sending someone undercover, you might as well have someone with a jailhouse tattoo, a poor hygiene, and <laughs> an awful haircut and a bad attitude. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's a good point. I suppose that's a good point. Um... I just was really struggling with what these characters were. I would have totally bought had you told me these were like former like military contractors who did like the really dirty missions, you know, the ones off the books that had been employed into the DEA for these sorts of really dangerous covert uh, like drug cartel missions. That mm-hmm. makes sense to me. I completely buy that, but they never give you that sort of information. No, they don't really. They just kind of state that they're the best in the business but it's not really clear at what except for making fun of each other (laughs) are they that good at that i feel like their wit was not particularly high no but they were pretty good at blasting drug dealers that is very true since we're on the cast i i I just want to focus a little bit as well on you mentioned her earlier uh olivia williams and harold perino as the two FBI agents, the homicide agents, who are assigned to um, look into the death of... I think it's Pyro at that point, isn't it? Because he's the one who gets hit by a train. That's right. Yeah. Now, now, what did you think of Olivia Williams? I actually wasn't that familiar with, with Olivia Williams or anything else that she's been in. Um, I thought she did a fantastic job here. She's a really accomplished actress. I've seen her in a lot of things over the years. Um... This is a role that I referenced earlier, like could have been a really garbage role and potentially awkward performance, but I thought she dug into it like crazy. I mean, she's a British actress 
and has, you know, just all the class and is able to get inside of a character in a way that maybe another actress might have struggled or another actor would have struggled. But I thought she was really fantastic. And you buy her going toe-to-toe with, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger and these (laughs) psychopathic skis balls. Mm -hmm. Like, when you see her, like, butting back against them, you actually believe it. The scene where she shakes the beer up and shoves it in Grinder's face. I feel like Grinder. We're talking a lot about Grinder here <laughs> yeah. and uh, taking out a context. That uh, sounds like a really funny sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the other the other character there, her partner, uh, played by Harold Perrineau as Agent Jackson. Uh, I mean, Harold Perrineau's been been around the block. He's been in lots of stuff. You've seen him in Lost and Sons of Anarchy. The Edge, that the movie Edge, with Anthony Hopkins. Matrix, Thirty Days of Night. Yeah. Uh, uh, tons and tons and tons of stuff. Uh, he was he was in this movie, I guess, to more or less uh, assist her. He wasn't on screen as much as Olivia Williams, but I still thought he carried himself pretty well on the screen, and I was convinced by him. He did a character actor job, you know. It's a role with no dimension, really. But he shows up, and he gives it personality, so that the character, when they're on screen, isn't just an exposition machine. He's actually kind of fun to watch. And I think that's what you want from that type of performance. And a lot of movies fail at that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I would even say, like, a lot of the actors cast as, like, the DEA people that they were dealing with Arnold. They weren't that interesting. I think Martin Donovan was the primary one, but he wasn't a character that popped off the screen. Whereas I felt like Harold Perrineau, like, he did. He was enjoyable. And, I mean, Olivia Williams, you totally buy her as this, like, ball-busting FBI agent that could take on the, even the most vicious of, you know, types that she has to deal with. So I thought she was fun. Yeah, so all in all, I mean, between those two and between the the actors who, who played the team members, it, even when their characters weren't that well-developed, I, I have no complaints at all about the acting in this movie. I think I pretty, don't either. pretty much everyone did, a, I thought, a pretty fantastic job at embodying whatever character they were assigned to play. It's just a bit of a shame that some of those characters were either indistinguishable from one another or just not particularly memorable. I'm curious, what did you enjoy more? The procedural story with Olivia Williams or the gang on the run story with these, you know, this motley crew of DEA thugs? That's a good question. I I really enjoyed the action that was in the DEA on the on the run kind of subplot. Yeah. But the the procedural stuff I thought was pretty good. And maybe that stems from this screenplay is apparently very loosely based on an Agatha Christie yeah. book, which I, I unfortunately haven't read. And then there were none, which I read for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lie, you wouldn't do that amount of work. That's very true. <laughs> I had to do all my research for the last episode we did on projects and never saw the light of day. I'm just phoning this one in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I enjoyed the procedural stuff more just because Olivia Williams is actually playing... A character who seems to have dimension, even though I don't really think she does. We don't know anything about this character's life whatsoever. But she fools you into believing she does because the performance is so good. Whereas the other group, it's like hanging out with only the worst jocks in gym when you're in high school. (laughs) You're like, do you really want to hang out with these people for too long? No. No, probably not. And so that's how I kind of felt with the team. I I, I was so disconnected from them as as a human being... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I had trouble wrapping my head around them completely. Yeah, I, I, I'd more or less agree with that. Yeah. 
Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I referenced earlier, has this history. I was trying to remember while watching this movie, do you remember the first time he played like one of these really tortured characters? Was it End of Days in 99? I was going to say maybe Red Heat. Uh, we reviewed Red Heat a little while ago, and, and I might be wrong here, but the one of the things we talked about on our Red Heat episode was just how mean and gritty and humorless that film was. This this movie saw that movie and was like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So may, maybe there, but End of Days would be a, a good a good choice that in kind of the later Schwarzenegger yeah. era. Because you get after that this kind of string of movies where he's tortured. Movies like Collateral Damage, uh, Maggie, which we talked about quite a while back, um... Uh, aftermath which you've seen i haven't yet and we haven't covered it yet but it does seem like arnold keeps being drawn to these very tortured character performances what did you think of seeing him in this movie like did you enjoy that performance is it a character that you found some value in following i enjoyed his performance uh i i have no more issue with his performance in this movie than i do with the others Mm -hmm. and it was interesting to see him because we don't get to see him actually act uh, too often, right? Uh, so it was interesting to see him having a little bit more uh, inter-character interaction mm-hmm. uh, than we than we normally see. Besides you know, throwing knives through people and and having quippy one-liners, at the same time, it would have been nice to have a little bit more humor injected into this film. And I think that probably the way to do that would be through Arnold Schwarzenegger's character because he's obviously so good at at doing that in his other movies yeah he seems really interested in playing torment with his career lately and i am wondering if how much has to do with just the fact he wants to grow as an actor and he feels like this is the best way to do that is to play tortured characters um yeah i would have enjoyed maybe a little more lightness from him uh this character of uh john wharton or breacher and the movie was actually almost called ten and breacher They changed the title to Sabotage, which I actually think might have been a mistake. Sabotage is a super generic title. Um, Yeah, pretty forgettable. Yeah, Tenon Breacher, at least it's one maybe people don't understand what it means, but it's memorable. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of variations on something I've seen before, but, I mean, he's definitely committed. Um, When I'm watching a scene of Arnold Schwarzenegger watch his wife be violently murdered on TV, you're like, okay, sure, like, this is really downer stuff. And the fact that we get to watch said torture video in fairly explicit detail, I'm not really sure what we're trying to do. I guess feel as depressed as Arnold Schwarzenegger, I suppose, in this moment. But I did like the idea of turning this character in the last act where you have him hunting down the guys that actually did this into sort of this Western figure of, you know, this avenging sort of outlaw type headed, you know, south of the border to hunt out these killers. Like, I like the idea of Arnold doing this sort of late career, dark western sort of stuff that Stallone is toying with as well, especially with the new Rambo movie shooting now, apparently. And I I do think that works for Arnold. I would have maybe liked just a western movie where he got to do this sort of thing, as opposed to seeing this movie, which, I don't know, feels like variations of a David Ayer movie, with an Arnold Schwarzenegger performance that while good, I think is so buried in the sheer eccentricity of all the people around him that Mm -hmm. you kind of don't get to follow him or get the depth of that performance in a way you would if the movie actually followed him. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because obviously the movie takes a total dark western 
turn at the end where he literally puts on a cowboy hat and shoots up a, a Mexican bar. With some serious collateral damage in the yeah, bar. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the movie, as much as I enjoyed it as a, a bit of a standalone scene, it seemed very tacked on to the rest of the movie. Well, it wants to give you that payoff of this character's journey, but I'm not sure what works better for the character, having him find the guys that did it, or having him always on the run, always trying to find the guys that did it and never quite catching them, showing that this vendetta is going to just lead him down a dark path. Whereas he actually gets his, you know, his revenge and is, I guess, going to die at the end. I don't know. It's left open to interpretation. It seems like he's going to. But we see him drinking and sort of, you know... Smoking a cigar. Smoke, he smokes he smoked a cigar a, through most of this movie. Smoked a lot of cigars in yeah. this movie. Um, but I wish that, like, I just felt more of an emotional connection to this character. Um, because you want to. You want to feel something when he actually gets this revenge. And I feel like David Ayer movies, almost by design, are intended to numb you to your core. So that by the end, you're just like, whew, well, that's the end of it. Yeah, you basically uh, take a character, surround him by anti-heroes, and then make him the anti-anti-hero. Right. You know, yeah. like the, the antiest of heroes. What did you think of him being the one that basically screwed over his team by taking all the money? I thought it was interesting. I thought that it was a shame that by the time they revealed that most of his team was dead. <laughs> yeah. Because there wasn't a lot of a lot of payoff in that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure really... I think if they were going to go that route, it would have been almost have been better to make him uh, a little bit more villainous rather than this anti-hero type character. Yeah, because he's taken the money. And because of this, um, the character of Lizzie has teamed up with the Terrence Howard character and are staging a very elaborate series of assassinations of their fellow teammates as revenge for the money being stolen. Correct? That's what I gathered, yeah. Does that not seem like a hell of a lot of work? As well as poorly thought out. You know, if these are truly people that you trust, or you trust most of them, but there's one of them that maybe is a bit of a bit of a mole in there or a bit of yeah. a bit of a rat, that it seems killing everyone is the wrong course to take, including your husband. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, I know they established throughout the course of this movie that this Lizzie character is highly unstable. There's a moment where Schwarzenegger actually stops her and like looks at her face very closely and is like you're not taking care of yourself he does not do this to any of the other members of the crew who are also very visible alcoholics yeah <laughs> he seems completely indifferent to the fact that the rest of them are highly aggressive and drinking at all times of the day but lizzie well he's very concerned about lizzie and of course lizzie is the undoing of everything and i found that really strange that you have the unhinged character is the one who's staging this incredibly elaborate plot that is tricking everyone uh, no absolutely absolutely the it would have been great i think actually if if they had the the reveal of schwarzenegger having taken the money be a little bit earlier and have a little bit more of the reaction of his teammates maybe, maybe that would give them an opportunity to distinguish themselves <laughs> beyond just the different body odors that they emanate or would they just all say the f word in unison and that would be the end of the scene that might be it yeah because <laughs> there's a moment when they realize the money's stolen in a sewer uh when they've actually you know pulled off this heist 
and it's just like a chorus of f words for like four minutes. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah it's that was, weird. That was a lot of the a lot of the movie. Yeah, they, it's they definitely. Really weird. It's like they held they held the shift f button down when they were writing the script. Yeah, and the script originally, I believe, was written by Skip Woods. He wrote a version of this. I don't know how much of Skip Woods is in this. Script. Not much at all. And Skip Woods, maybe it's better. A lot of his work isn't in this because he's the writer of A Good Day to Die Hard, uh, <laughs> X Men Origins Wolverine. Swordfish, Hitman, and the lone movie that I actually enjoyed, A-Team. Right. So David Ayer took over and rewrote this whole thing. Because when you watch this movie, this is a David Ayer joint through and through. So yeah, I think Skip Woods may have had some basic framework stuff. But this is a David Ayer script for sure. I think if they had focused a little bit more or been given more time to Schwarzenegger's character having been the the person who took the money basically in order to enact this revenge plan to to give himself enough money to pay off the mexican police or military yeah whoever it is and and then uh identify who it was who killed his wife and child and and do that i mean there's definitely a little bit of a count of monte cristo thing going on there where revenge is going to be had at any price sure and that only really got revealed at the end, and the payoff on that was just super quick. It was that one scene in the Mexican bar, and there was really no impact on him having betrayed his teammates uh, in the movie because by the time it was revealed, all of his teammates were dead. And did you feel a real sense of burden with him throughout the movie about having done this to his teammates? Mm-mm. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, I know that originally David Ayer's original cut of this movie was three hours. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the studio demanded they cut it down to, you know, the current length, which is an hour and 49 minutes to make it more action-based. Right. And not so much character-based. I do wonder how much hit the cutting room floor that maybe would have fleshed out some of these characters or some of these motivations a little more. I don't know. Maybe there's none. I don't know. Who knows? But it does seem notable. Like, it does, just looking at the movie from the point of view of how much seems to be missing. I've read some interviews that David Ayer's been done before, and he has spoken before about just how challenging it is to be both a director and a writer and a producer and an editor. I'm not sure if he was um, doing those, wearing those hats as well in this movie, on a movie. But basically, the more hats you wear, the harder it is because you can film these scenes or... Uh, write these uh, scenes and just feel so good about them and think like this is this is amazing this is academy award worthy stuff and then whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then in order to uh, make the movie flow or to make the movie marketable you need to to chop these things that you really you really like and you really um, feel some ownership over he must have felt great about suicide squad I guess so. But that might be the case here. But you look at another movie. Uh, I mean, we reviewed The Predator yeah. as part of our Predator retrospective a few episodes back. And it's in some ways, it's a similar movie in that you have a group of hardened killers with various mental illnesses who, <laughs> who are all kind of unrelatable. Yeah. And there's a movie where, it, and we talked about it in that episode, uh, it's... It was edited in such a way as to be, uh, in some places, 
kind of incomprehensible and really interfered with the flow and the pacing of the movie. Yeah. So in in this movie, even though some of the characters maybe have blended together as a result of some of the some of the chopping and maybe some of the subplots that would have been interesting to see have been cut out. Uh, it, it is a movie that you can tell that where it's been cut, it's been done, I think, to to help the flow of the movie or to create a certain kind of feel to the movie. Like, I would not say this movie is fast-paced. Like, it feels to me fairly leisurely paced, and I do wonder if a three-hour cut would be pretty intolerable. It, it's tough to say. You look at maybe a, another cop drama that's at that kind of length. You look at maybe, say, uh, Heat or something like that, and you you think... And that was one of the big gripes about Heat when it came out was that it was close to three hours long and it took a long time to get where it needed to be. And you got to wonder if uh, a movie like that were to be cut down or have an hour chopped out of it, would it be an action cop movie? And similarly, would a movie like this be an action cop drama? (laughs) No, that's yeah, that makes sense. So David Ayer... You liked his approach to action in this movie, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, what stood out to you most? Was there any moments or scenes that you thought were really, you know, hit the bar you hoped for in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? I don't know if it was Schwarzenegger-type action, but I really enjoyed the reliance on practical effects over digital ones. If there were digital effects used in this movie, uh, they were blended in there pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. I liked how... um, how high impact the violence in this movie was. There was, uh, you know, when those bullets hit, they hit hard. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a movie that shows what happens when bullets hit flesh. Unlike a lot of the PG-13 action movies where they take away any of that sort of consequence. It's just like a gun goes off, people hit the ground. It's played very, like, bloodlessly and pretty superficial. And at the same time, I'm pretty confident that... Uh, the DEA is not regularly engaging in uh, point-blank machine gun firefights with... <laughs> in, like, low-rent apartments? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think that's the kind of thing that happens too often. I don't think so. It seemed like they had free reign to kind of do whatever they want, yeah. which did not make sense to me. There's a part later, you know, probably in the second act, mid, mid-second act, where they storm this, yeah, this very low-rent apartment complex... And they're just, like, bursting from room to room, like, putting the guns in the face of children. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, blowing the holes through walls with, like, automatic weapons. And I'm like, I don't think the DEA works like this. <laughs> I hope not. Apparently. And then they leave and just tell the FBI to clean everything up. Yeah. And there's, like, what, probably, like, eight or nine dead guys in there? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure someone would be filing some paperwork. Yeah, yeah. I particularly, in, in terms of the action, enjoyed the chase sequence in this movie where it's... The car chase? Yeah, it begins in a parking garage with Arnold and uh, Olivia Williams' character going to meet up with Lizzie, who's asked to meet them there. And then they show up and she tries to take them out by being in the trunk of a car and with Terrence Howard at the wheel. And that leads to a huge chase down the street, which is... Almost absurdly violent, in which, like, pedestrians are getting killed in horrific ways. And, uh, I mean, it's incredibly well shot. I think it's an effective action sequence. And it's something I haven't really seen of, like, a character in a trunk like that shooting back and making it seem semi-plausible. 
Yeah, with Schwarzenegger's character in the back of a pickup truck at the same time. Yeah. And periodically Terrence Howard and Olivia Williams taking pot shots at each other with, with their own guns. I thought it was really well filmed. And again, high high impact kind of stuff. Yeah. Especially if you happen to be a cyclist or a little old lady or a, yeah. a, any of the people who are uh, happen to be just going about their business in this town. Yeah, when that cyclist hits the windshield and just like explodes all over the windshield, I was like, wow. Yeah, which is then used as a plot device because yeah. Terrence Howard can't see but for the uh, pieces of cyclist all over his windshield and ends up driving into the back of a, a truck of some kind. It is weird how this movie really lingers on the deaths of civilians. Yeah. But the team, not so much. You tend to not see their deaths in graphic detail. You might see some of the aftermath in some cases, not all. But, like, the if you're a civilian, you get the full glory shot of, like, a bullet just, like, ripping you to shreds or being smashed on a windshield. Because <laughs> we uh, see moments later, Terrence Howard, I guess, gets impaled, but you don't actually see any of it. Right, but, I mean, we do see Grinder gets pretty, uh, his yes. brain's pretty splattered all over a cafe. For sure. And then, of course, uh... Uh, neck getting pinned to the roof of his. Uh... We well, see the aftermath. Yeah, you don't see him actually get killed though. And I'm not. Sh- I'm still not sure if it was Tripod or Pyro who got uh, broken to a million different pieces by the train. Pyro's in the train. <laughs> Tripod is the guy who lives in the woods who gets shot down by like a gun squad. Right. Yeah. Um, and that actually had a moment that I thought was at least noteworthy direction-wise, where Tripod's in a shootout with his assailants, and it has this shot. From, like, a POV shot from the end of the gun, but the gun is actually, like, the POV shot is facing him? Yeah. As opposed to where the gun is actually aiming. Yeah, it was an interesting shot. I was like, you don't see that in many movies. I actually thought the editing in that in that gunfight was interesting because um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Olivia Williams' characters are going to, to warn Tripod, and uh, it's... By the way, it is tough. It is tough to, even on a film podcast to talk about characters named Tripod and Neck and Grinder. Yeah. I can't even imagine if you worked on a police force if everybody had a stupid <laughs> name like this, how you would take it. What would your but, tough guy name be in the team? Uh, probably Cupcake or something like that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but they go in and they and it's chronologically edited so at the same time that they're kind of investigating this scene you were also cutting back and forth to scenes of the gunfight where the gunmen come and and attack tripod right i I thought that was really really well done it was because yeah it was playing with time through the editing as to when this attack happened versus arnold and olivia williams sneaking up i thought that was really well done Mm -hmm. i just wanted to say on the on the car chase when i was watching that it actually reminded me a lot you remember ronin yeah uh the the vehicle chase in that, which I think is fairly well known. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, famous. John Frankenheimer did that one. Really great uh, car chase. And but same good movie. Same thing. Uh, high impact uh, and just as unrealistic as it might be, very convincing on film. Yeah, no, it was for sure. I thought, honestly, I find David Ayer's action direction a lot of the time pretty terrible. Uh, I thought Fury was well done, but I remember seeing the action in Bright, and it was just the worst shaky cam spastic editing like i cannot tell what room i'm in or what is going on in this time um suicide squad's action wasn't great either but i actually thought this movie was well done so it's you know it's interesting how he's kind of gotten worse over the last couple productions i don't know 
maybe Bright 2 will offer a beam of light <laughs> with better things to offer. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'm not holding my breath. No, no. Uh, what did you think of, I don't know, like I really struggle with what David Ayer is trying to say with these movies. Because he wants you to see this, I guess, toxic masculinity. He wants to like hold your face down into like extreme violence consistently. But do you ever get the sense that a lot of it's just all style and he's like no substance? Yeah, that is the one thing about this movie that keeps keeps coming back and keeps being a little bit of the albatross around its neck in that as as well directed and as well edited and as well acted as it is, uh, it's not really clear what the point of the movie is or what it's trying to say. Is it saying that this masculinity is bad? Is it saying that when your family is horribly tortured and mailed to you that you should go out and betray your team and bribe police officers and kill mexican gunmen Uh, i don't know that's a bit of a very specific message (laughs) yeah i don't get it really either um it seems to really emphasize the sort of might makes right sort of idea at least in this movie in that like it's just through violence that they can solve the problems but it's not clear that might did make right, and in fact, well, several characters made did personal t- right, I suppose, in terms of the avenging the death of a loved one. But, but several characters uh, did tell Breacher yeah. that nothing that he did was going to bring them back, and and that was true. He just kind of ignored that and decided to go through with his revenge plot, which is why I say I think a little bit more of a focus on the maybe the psychology of revenge or the motives of revenge uh, would have been a little bit more interesting. Because would you say that he, like that David Ayer was in any way siding with the DEA? I feel like they come across pretty bad in this movie. He plays them pretty poorly. Yeah, I don't think he was siding with the DEA as no. well. I mean, he portrayed them all as basically psychopaths or bureaucrats. Yeah, I would say that Olivia Williams... And Harold Perrineau as the FBI agents, they're the lone characters who seem to have some sort of moral high ground, I suppose. Right. They want to complete their investigation. They're, yeah. they're willing to do some extra work, even though it's been deemed not to be a homicide. That kind of thing. But don't you get the sense the movie wants Arnold Schwarzenegger to kill the guy that did this? I don't know if I got that sense. I, I, I'm not even sure. Like clear, That's the thing. Cl- it feels a little muddled. That's why I'm asking. Clearly, Sch- Schwarzenegger's character wanted to kill the guy that did this. Yeah. But I'm not sure if the movie was saying that was a good thing or a bad thing. It's it's very ambiguous. And maybe that was the point. I don't know. And that, But that's probably where this movie falls down is... Not anything technical about the movie, but just in its general worldview or its general message, I guess. I mean, David Ayer tends to make these movies that are very nihilistic, and this one does fall into that. Oh man, if this movie was any more nihilistic, they'd be smoking clove cigarettes instead of cigars and hanging around in French cafes trying on berets. I'm surprised one of the characters in here didn't have a beret. <laughs> <laughs> that was for the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Sabotage in France. Um, it's interesting when you look at this movie, though, how strong the parallels are with Suicide Squad. And that, that movie also had, like, an unhinged female character was, like, the wild card of the group. It's just odd how David Ayer likes to repeat these same sorts of themes. Right, or since this is an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast, the similarities that are between... Uh, Maybe Expendables. Well, Expendables. 
You mean just being a team? Yeah, but in terms of the breakdown of what happens in the movie, like, this is so similar to Suicide Squad, it's crazy. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it does feel very close to that. Like, so you can see that David Ayer is a... He's a definite director who has a vision, and he repeats it over and over. It's kind of like Tim Burton, who's obsessed with outsiders and wants to examine that over and over again. David Ayer, this is what he wants to do. He wants to tell these stories... I'm just not sure that this one is the most concise version of that. Although I would like to see a version of this movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger has scissors for hands. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> uh, I cut the hedge. <laughs> Breacher scissor hands. <laughs> or would it just be Breacher hands? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I would love to see that Tim Burton movie. When is Arnold Schwarzenegger going to work with Tim Burton? <laughs> Hopefully soon. <laughs> so I have a question for you that I really did scratch my head about when I'm watching this movie and that we know Arnold has struggled to find kind of a return to the big screen post politics. But does this feel like the movie you make if you want to get any sort of mainstream, you know, good graces? Because this movie to me feels like a very niche audience movie and very lean and mean, very limited audience. It does not feel like what Arnold's good at, which is kind of winning over the mass audience. That's true. Although I think, again, when you look at this movie on paper, you have David Ayer as the writer and director. You have a pretty decent ensemble cast. Uh, You have a movie that I think has a lot of potential. And if Schwarzenegger is trying to reinvent himself a little bit in this uh, post-political age, although I did note there was uh, a couple of nods to bodybuilding and telling porky de agents that they're 48 percent body fat yeah that, that kind of thing but if he is trying to reinvent himself with the types of movies as maggie and this one maybe aftermath uh less so the last stand right but this is the kind of movie you want to attach to right i guess although it didn't pay off in any way shape or form no it didn't but you could see i could see the psychology behind picking a movie like this yeah i just wonder if Arnold is going down a curious road here where he's almost like just trying to appeal to action fans at this point. And that's a fairly dwindling market because this movie doesn't feel big, I didn't think. It felt fairly like a small production. And I don't know, it definitely feels like a movie that Arnold would not have done going back before he was on uncertain ground career-wise. Maybe it's hard to say. Uh, that's one thing I have realized doing this podcast is j- just the the breadth is a lot greater than we often give him credit for. I mean, he's done Sword and Sorcery. He's done these kind of stripped down mean movies with movies like Red Heat, sci-fi movies, comedy movies, family friendly movies, yeah. holiday movies. And now he's doing this, uh, you know, this kind of hard hitting high-impact, violent, nihilistic movie, the David Ayer-type movie. Yeah. And, I mean, can you really blame him? Because those those types of movies have had some level of success recently. It's true, yeah. I mean, End of Watch did reasonably well. Um, But I I just wonder if... I don't know, like, if I'm Arnold, you put out The Last Stand and that doesn't do well. You put out this, which is definitely a different direction than The Last Stand. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do well. It must mess with your head. You must just be like, I don't even know what to do at this point. I don't know. I I mean, one thing to consider as well is I think that this movie was also released 
around the time where Arnold Schwarzenegger was he was having his own personal issues that were fairly right. well documented with his family. He's just coming out of politics where he's been very successful. Um, it's now ten years later, past his movie star phase, and he's he's trying to get back in the game. Who knows? But you gotta hand it to the guy for for trying, and he doesn't. He's not showing up and phoning it in the way he he is maybe in. I thought. I mean, we'll we'll go into the last stand later in a later episode, but that he was maybe a little bit in the last stand, maybe a little bit in say like Killing Gunther, which we've we've reviewed before. Well, he's going bananas in Killing Gunther. <laughs> yeah. Killing Gunther feels like a movie, and I wouldn't have. I didn't say this in the review because I the thought didn't really occur to me until watching this movie. I feel like after the box office performance of Last Stand, Sabotage, and a couple of the others, I think in between, there's at least one or two. Maggie didn't do very well. Um, I Ma- feel like I don't think Maggie was ever intended to do well. Well, yeah, not not really. It was an art house film, exactly. But I feel like by the time he gets to Killing Gunther, he just gives no f's. <laughs> He's just like, you know what? Nothing's sticking, so I might as well just go crazy. That's true. And uh, as we went over in Killing Gunther, uh, the movie is a poor movie, but Schwarzenegger's performance, it is just totally bananas. For sure. So would you like to see more Arnold movies like this, like Sabotage? Maybe not like Sabotage, but I certainly would like Arnold Schwarzenegger to continue stretching a little bit as an actor and taking on these more specific genre films. Because as we've seen with um, the the box office on some of the bigger attempts in his post-political acting career. He just can't pull in the audiences as a leading man the way he used to on these big budget Hollywood extravaganzas. And so if he's not going to do that, uh, and it's one thing I've always thought that Arnold Schwarzenegger actually has a way better range as an actor and as a way better actor than people give him credit for. I agree, yeah. And so we watch these movies that maybe aren't the the greatest movies that we've ever seen. We talked a little bit a bit about when we did Maggie, which was a very early episode for us. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's if nothing else, it's interesting to watch him do these other movies. And I, I gotta think that for all that some of these movies have their misses, there's definitely some hits in there. And I'd like to see maybe another director take Arnold Schwarzenegger and use him in a role that we haven't seen him in before and in a successful movie. I think that would be great. Like Journey to China 3D? (laughs) (laughs) We're still waiting for that one. Yeah, no kidding. Um, No, I mean, I agree. I enjoy watching Arnold try and stretch his acting muscles, uh, as well as his real muscles, as we saw in this movie where (laughs) he's pumping iron. Um, But I would like to see more of that. I wonder if part of the problem is he's picking the wrong directors to do that. Like, I don't know that David Ayer is an actor's director. I feel like David Ayer makes David Ayer movies, and he uses his actors a little bit like action figures in his movies. Because you look at the cast, like, very few of these people have any dimension whatsoever. And so I would like to see Arnold actually work with a director who knows how to work with actors. I think Cameron was good at that. Um, I think Paul Verhoeven was fairly good at that. I would like to see him find those talents, I think, because I think... When you plug them into something like this, which is really, really, really mean-spirited, unless you are like a thespian like Olivia Williams who just has that fire to create entirely original characters out of the material, um, I don't know that Arnold has that yet, so I would like to see him work with directors who really took the time to like nurture a performance out of him. I don't know if that's true, Cam, because David Ayer has gotten some really good performances 
uh, out of his scripts and his direction okay. in, in the past. In, in similar movies, right? Where in similar uh, hard-hitting cop dramas and cop action films. I and, wonder how much of that has to do with just the quality of the actors, though. Like, Arnold... But this this movie, though... Sorry to interrupt. No, no. But this this movie, though, and we were, is, it, it's full of great actors. Yes, giving performances that will not be on their best of reels. <laughs> I guess so. It's not a resume builder. <laughs> no. Maybe that's true. Maybe maybe David Ayer isn't the right guy. Um, it would be interesting to see Schwarzenegger in a role that's less of a leading role. Um you know, I'd like to see him in, say, a Tarantino movie or something oh, like that. Oh, that's my dream. I would love to see that. <laughs> we'll see if Quentin and Arnold ever sit down over a beer and, and make it happen. You'd think Arnold could get that meeting, right? You'd think so. Yeah, uh, why not? Um, you, you mean you think Quentin can get that meeting? Well, that's a good question, I suppose. At this point, yes. After Sabotage's box office and a couple <laughs> of the others, yeah, I think he can. Yeah, but something like that where Arnold's doing something a little different because we're not going to see... Arnold Schwarzenegger playing uh, Dutch or playing uh, the T-800 the, the way we've seen in the past. He, he may step into those shoes again, but it, it's just not the same. I mean, it's now 20, 30 years later yeah. in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, Sabotage is kind of interesting as an experiment. To me, it's a movie, though, that just doesn't, it just doesn't really work very well. And I kind of walk out of it being like, eh, you know, I kind of like seeing Arnold do some stuff. Um, some of the actors are definitely going wacko in it, and that's kind of entertaining, but it's just not a movie that I really connect with. I think it, a lot of that has to do with ultimately my issues with David Ayer films, and that mm-hmm. very few of them connect with me. I think I can totally understand, though, for people that this does work for, who love movies like Street Kings and Harsh Times way more than I do. Right. So, I, you know, that's just the way I feel, I guess. But, you know, it's all subjective, so maybe some people get a lot more out of Sabotage than I do. I don't know. I just find it mean-spirited to the point of being kind of tough to sit through and then be like, yeah, that was enjoyable. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think I've already beaten the horse to death on this, which is as well-made as I think this film actually is. Uh, I didn't find it super enjoyable to sit through. It was just too mean, too grim, and the characters were just too unlikable for me to want to pick this up and throw it on on a Sunday morning. So no Sabotage 2 for you? Probably not. Okay, so Tony, what are we doing in our next episode? Well, to bring us into the holiday season, we're going to be reviewing one of Schwarzenegger's Christmas films, Jingle All the Way. The other one, of course, being Christmas in Connecticut, which I think we might have to save for next Christmas. But I'm looking forward to reviewing this one. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, And Cam, I just know how big a Sinbad fan you are. Obviously. I was all about first kid. So, yeah, I'm excited to do Jingle All the Way. I haven't seen this one in forever, so it'll be interesting. And I think it's a really good follow-up to Sabotage. (laughs) Probably a little lighter-hearted. Similarly uh, nihilistic. (laughs) Okay, so if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can, of course, contact us at arniegeddonpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at arniegeddonpod. You can find me at Cam V as in violence and lots of it, Smith. You can also download direct from the source. You can find us at www.arniegeddon.com. You can find me, Tony G, Tony like the name, G like the letter, at arniegeddon.com. And of course, leave those reviews in the podcast stores where our episodes are listed. They do wonders for us in terms of rankings and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, making sure that we are 
the dominant Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. <laughs> yeah, of the one out there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that guy if it's the last thing we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're coming for you. <laughs> okay, so we'll be back with Jingle All the Way. Jingle all the way.